Health information has long been trapped in electronic silos, which prevents the seamless exchange of information between stakeholders. Last year, the Department of Health and Human Services issued a number of sweeping regulations to improve interoperability among players in the healthcare space. These regulations will have significant impact on a broad cross-section of the healthcare industry, requiring healthcare entities to rethink nearly every step of how they manage the flow of health information throughout its life cycle. This task, while daunting, cannot be delayed. I'm Randall Rubenking, and you are listening to Baker Hosts. On today's episode, we explore the specific details of the information blocking rules, which prohibits healthcare providers, health IT developers, and health information networks or exchanges from engaging in practices that block the access, exchange, or use of electronic health information. The penalties for engaging in such practices are serious. Joining us today are partner Vimy Devasi and associate Kyle Gregory. Vimy and Kyle are members of our healthcare team, digital asset and data management practice group, as well as our newly formed healthcare technology team. This new team is focused on how innovation and technology are transforming the healthcare industry and that digital health acumen is critical to success. Welcome, Vimy and Kyle. Thank you, Randall. We're excited to be here today. Thanks for having us, Randall. Okay. Now, many of the most important compliance requirements, including the information blocking restrictions, become effective in April of this year. So this is a very timely topic. Vimy, let's start with you. What are the interoperability information blocking rules? Sure. So back on May 1st, 2020, the Office of the National Coordinator, ONC, and CMS published two final rules uh, that were meant to implement the requirement of the 21st Century Cures Act, which was signed into law at the end of 2016. The ONC rule prohibits information blocking, and the compliance deadline was originally November 2020. Uh, That was extended until April 5th, 2021, due largely to the pandemic. The CMS rule expands the Medicare's of conditions of participation effective May 1st, 2021. And what that requires is that hospitals provide electronic notification to a patient's primary care provider upon the patient's admission, transfer, or discharge from the hospital, which is known as an ADT notification. Uh, but we're going to be generally focusing on the ONC rule for the discussion today. And you know, by and large, what information blocking means is when a provider engages in any practice that it knows to be unreasonable and likely to interfere with access, exchange, or use of electronic health information. So it's a really broad definition. And some of the examples that ONC has provided as to what's information blocking are implementation of a blanket delay by a provider in the provision of test results, lab results to patients, or radiology results, pathology results, which is which is relatively commonplace today. Um, restrictions uh, in contracts or in policies and procedures uh, on the flow or, or access of health information, um, or limiting the interoperability of your health IT, you know, disabling or restricting uh, capabilities within your EHR that prohibit um, sharing of electronic health information with other users of the system or unreasonable fees that prevent access to health information. So all things that are considered information blocking under the rules. Um, and just quickly, I would note that you know the rules apply to what is called electronic health information. And so until October of 2022, electronic health information only includes what's known as USCDI data, um, which is a, a very narrow definition 
of data elements, you know, for with things like, you know, clinician notes, uh, you know, immunizations, lab tests, results, allergies, medications, things like that. After October 2022, unless it's delayed, it will include all electronic health information. Two other things we want to note really quickly is that, you know, information blocking is really a request-driven process. ONC clarified in recent guidance that there's not a requirement to proactively make all EHI available. Um, Instead, what information blocking really is, is that if there is any delay in the release or availability of electronic health information, EHI, in response to a request for that information, it can be deemed information blocking unless it meets one of eight specific exceptions. I'm going to pause here for a minute and just uh, see if Kyle could help break down these exceptions for us. Yes, Vimy. These eight exceptions actually fall into two categories. First are the exceptions that involve not fulfilling a request due to the nature of the information being requested. So these are exceptions uh, where there is concern that fulfilling the request could cause potential harm or potentially uh, fulfilling the request is infeasible or uh, there are security concerns or privacy concerns associated with the information. The second category of exceptions are those that involve procedures for fulfilling requests to access, exchange, or use EHI. For example, if a provider receives a request for the access of EHI using a certain technology or requesting this EHI in a certain format that they potentially couldn't provide, the, the information blocking rule provides exceptions. If a provider could not respond in the way requested, they would not be violating the information blocking rule. Thank you, Kyle. In addition, we just want to note that information blocking violations, really, they require, particularly when you're talking about a provider, it requires intent to block access to information uh, in order for there to be a violation. And it's really, at this point, a complaint-based program. The, OA, the Office of the Inspector General has not issued an enforcement rule related to information blocking yet for providers. It has done a proposed rule with regard to um, HIEs and uh, health IT developers, but uh, it currently only has the power to refer providers to HHS for appropriate disincentives. That's a great introduction. Well, now, Kyle, what makes these new rules have such a large impact on the healthcare industry? The information blocking rules are such uh, represent such a paradigm shift because they require that actors such as providers, health information exchanges, health IT developers provide access, exchange, or use health electronic health information unless the actor is prohibited from doing so um, under an existing law or one of the eight exceptions that Vinny mentioned. Uh, while under HIPAA, providers and other covered entities may share health data with other providers or payers for certain limited purposes, such as treatment, payment, healthcare operations, under the information blocking rule, Actors such as providers must share that unless uh, one of the eight exceptions uh, is met or some other uh, law applies. So what this really does is traditionally healthcare entities have been fairly loath to share information uh, for fear of violating HIPAA. This turns it on its head by essentially requiring them to share information upon request to avoid uh, violating uh, the information blocking rules. 
So it, it really does uh, require healthcare providers and other entities regulated under the information blocking rule to rethink how they approach the sharing of health information, which is really what the goal of ONC and CMS was, was to make health information more interoperable, improve the abilities for health systems, health technology to to talk to each other. Okay, Kyle. Well, now with this new way of thinking about things, what should providers be doing to prepare for these new information blocking restrictions that take effect this April? So we generally recommend that healthcare providers take a holistic approach because there's a lot to tackle here. So on one hand, you've got your administrative issues. Maybe you have policies or procedures that set, set forth certain practices that could potentially be considered information blocking. I know Vimy mentioned earlier lab results. A lot of health systems uh, have man- mandated delays, which really uh, are not tied to any technical issue uh, that, per- that delay the result of, uh, of your lab re- uh, test before you can see it on maybe a patient portal or you get sent, uh, you get sent these results. Um, looking at your practices involving your patient portals generally or how you respond to patient requests for information. Looking at your policies on how you decide what third-party apps you want to connect to your electronic health system or your other uh, healthcare information technology solutions. So there's definitely the from a policy side and, and procedure side, are we recommend our clients take a close look at, at their policies and procedures that which address the sharing or exchange of information. In addition to that, that there's contractual issues here as well. As Vimy mentioned, information blocking can show up in contracts as well. So taking a look at your contracts with your health information technology vendors, and even for covered entities, looking at your contracts with business associates to see, have you put in place language which would or could potentially limit or prohibit or create barriers to the exchange, access, and use of electronic health information? You know, I think one of the things that providers are, have been struggling with in terms of the information blocking rules is that for so long they have acted as a, a data guardian or a data custodian, if you will, and, and they've worked so hard to really safeguard the privacy and security of their patients' health information. And so, you know, in some ways this this law I think runs a little counterintuitive to them on some of those types of issues. And on top of that, you know, one of the first uh, oaths that a provider takes is to, to do no harm. And so I think for so long they have you know, they have um, one of their their very important roles is to help to, uh, you know, distill patients' anxiety about test results and, 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 and you know, sort of be there to help explain a, a lab result or, or provide context for it. So, you know, to have a situation where we're providing, you know, we're kind of at the situation where patients are getting tremendous amounts of data so quickly um, and, the, and the provider is not necessarily there to kind of walk them through that, I think that is something uh, that's a little disconcerting to the provider community. Um, you know, with that said, I think COVID in some ways has, has oddly been helpful in the situation because uh, it's, you know, it has helped, I think, both on the provider side and on the patient side. It's really helped accelerate this notion that that information, uh, that knowledge is power, right? That a, that a, a better informed patient 
can really truly be a part, a better partner in their own care. And so, you know, how many of us have sat in front of a portal this past year, you know, kind of clicking refresh and waiting and waiting for those COVID results to come in and, and, and providers have realized they can't, you know, particularly with COVID, there's no way to be able to get that information to patients as quickly as they need it. And so I think, you know, that's in some way oddly, you know, helped to accelerate this paradigm shift and, and made this kind of almost uh, an e- become an easier norm for both prov- providers and patients, and it has, has in, in, uh, you know, a little bit oddly been a, a kind of a nice segue into where we are going with these information blocking regulations. Thank you, Vimy. Finally, take a look at your healthcare information technology solutions that you have in play. A lot of, because uh, EHR vendors, along with other HIT vendors, have are regulated under the information blocking rules. A lot of these vendors have been taking pretty aggressive steps to change their platform, to change settings available through their platforms that will help the providers and, and, and their users comply with the information blocking. Kyle, you raise a great point because I think you know one of the things that uh, provider clients particularly are struggling with at this point is that you know as much as EHRs um, or have, have worked very hard to become certified and comply with with uh, you know these regulations. A number of them still lack um, you know some of the technical capabilities that enable uh, providers to comply with these information blocking rules. So, for example, on lab results, you know a number of the EHRs currently out there currently don't have the ability to segment data at the level of granularity needed for a provider to um, comply with its you know, it's uh, obligations under the information blocking rules, for example, to prevent harm to a patient, you know, which is which is a very high standard. It has to be uh, preventing harm to a patient in the, that could potentially cause um, a threat to their health or safety or, or to their life. So but if a provider truly feels that, uh, uh, you know, a lab result could cause harm to a patient, they are required they are required under the information blocking rules. That's one of the exceptions that they can use to say, OK, well, this is information that we should not be making available. You know, unfortunately, a lot of the EHRs don't have that ability that would enable a provider to segment data in those situations. And so, you know, if that is the case, it's it's really important to look at your EHR documentation and the information that they're providing you as to what the capabilities are, because that may help uh, to elucidate for providers in particular, you know, how they can comply with the information blocking rules and whether an exception might apply that they should be thinking about um, to protect their patients at large. Well, that does seem like a big paradigm shift in the way of thinking about this information. Now, Vimy, you said before that this has been in the works since about 2016. Do we know how the new Biden administration will affect these restrictions? That's a great question, Randall. And and you you hit the nail on the head. This the 21st Century Cures Act was enacted in 2016 with strong bipartisan support. So it was during, uh, you know, President Obama's administration. And so there, you know, and at that that time, and there continues to be very strong support within President Biden's administration for advancing interoperability. In fact, uh, President Biden's, you know, most recent appointments uh, to HHS and ONC are known to be strong advocates for interoperability. So, uh, you know, we certainly do not expect there to be anything that derails the advancement of these regulations going forward. I will say that the American Hospital Association is is lobbying quite a bit to try to delay the rules once again with the 
understandable pressure that is already on providers due to the pandemic, which has not, you know, in any way um, lessened for the, you know, since the rules were last delayed in November. So they have asked that the rules be delayed until January 1st, 2022, or until six months after the national emergency ends. So, you know, the last time that OMC elected to delay the regulations was, I think, two days before the compliance deadline. So, you know, right around the end of October 2020. So, you know, if they were to delay it, I think we would only see it very close to the next compliance deadline, which is April 5th, 2021. But, you know, if I were to have a crystal ball on this, uh, my prediction is that they would not necessarily delay again and that providers and, and all those subject to these rules should go ahead and, and get their house in order and, and be ready to comply as of April 5th. I see. One more question, Kyle. What can we see coming on the horizon? So we have a bit of a sense of where ONC and CMS uh, are, are planning to go. In December of, of 2020, uh, CMS actually released a, a new rule which would have expanded information sharing between payers and providers as kind of a complement to the, uh, the, C- the rule they had released in May and the ONC information blocking rule also released in May. Now, that regulation has actually been put on a regulatory freeze right now, and we don't have a clear sense of when that will come, when that will be unfrozen. But the December 2020 CMS rule highlights that ONC does, and CMS are not thinking of these rules in a vacuum. There's going to need to be a lot of action from a lot of different HHS agencies to make interoperability a reality. Interoperability was one of the major drivers in the push to it for adoption of EHR systems, which was uh, included in the 2009 uh, High Tech Act. So this isn't something that's new, and it's interesting to see how HHS is using a variety of different levers from a variety of different agencies to help push this this forward. What I would expect to see in, in the short term is finally some regula- regulation discussing how the information blocking disincentives apply to providers, because as Vimy mentioned earlier, Right now, we don't have clear guidance on what the penalties are for providers who violate the information blocking regulations. So in, in the shorter term, that's, that's something I, I'm, we're all eager, eagerly awaiting. But longer term, I expect to see some additional regulations that govern different relationships, moving beyond the provider-patient or provider-health information technology vendor relationships to kind of encompass all the players in the healthcare ecosystem. Okay. Thank you very much, Vimy and Kyle. You've given us a lot to think about. Thank you, Randall. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks, Randall. It was, it was an absolute pleasure. If you have any questions for Vimy or Kyle, their contact information will be in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening to Baker Hosts. Comments heard on Baker Hosts are for informational purposes and should not be construed as legal advice regarding any specific facts or circumstances. Listeners should not act upon the information provided on Baker Hosts without first consulting with a lawyer directly. The opinions expressed on Baker Hosts are those of participants appearing on the program 
and do not necessarily reflect those of the firm. For more information about our practices and experience, please visit BakerLaw.com.